0: If a man be overtaken in any fault, you who are spiritual, instruct such a one in the spirit of meekness. Words from the lesson this morning. When Jesus came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was carried out. Words from the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Faults, burdens, reaping corruption. Young men dying, mothers weeping. A lot of failure here, a lot of suffering. Why all this failure? Why all this suffering? This age-old question has rung down the ages and is still on the lips of men to this day. Is that not true? Sadly, many use it to mock God or as a reason to disregard Him and all His laws. They use it to become atheists, or at least practical atheists, sometimes called agnosticism. If there is an all-powerful God, they like to say ad nauseum. They say it over and over. Why does He allow so much suffering? If I were in His place, I would do something about it. How many times have we heard that? Of course, at this point, they like to put forth a whole list of examples of suffering involving little innocent children. They always go for the little children. Why all these little children have to die, be tortured, be harmed? How can I believe in a God that allows that? Well, the answer to this difficulty is simply this. If God were to prevent evil in the physical order things like disease, corruption, burdens, death, and all that causes mothers to weep, then He would have to destroy the moral order of the universe. In other words, the corruption we feel and see on the physical level is produced by actions committed on the moral level. Moral evil, that is sin, or choosing what is apparently good when you have a higher good. You choose the lesser evil in place of the higher good. Sin. That leads to physical evil. The stormy and warring world around us reflects the stormy and warring world that is inside us. They are connected. God created Adam and Eve in a state of Perfection. Inner harmony, integrity, original justice. And he placed them in a physical and morally perfect universe. Typified by the Garden of Eden. It was sin. It was moral evil that brought down the universe. Sin is what causes war, disease, storms, death, and weeping. If God were to prevent all these, He would have to remove man's freedom. We know that. He'd have to remove the moral order. Now doing this, He would be forced to contradict Himself, wouldn't He? By preventing man from being what He made him to be. A creature capable of becoming Godlike, A creature made to know and love God. A creature made to be with Him forever. In heaven, without free will, without the moral order, love would not exist. Nor would love triumph through sacrifice. Triumph over what? Evil. There'd be no merit, no crowns, no rewards. Is that what we want? Well, God, for His part, has done something about the evil in the world. He reestablished the moral order, lost by Adam. He did this in and through His incarnate Son, His Majesty, our Lord Jesus Christ. We share in this restoration through baptism and by striving to live always in a state of grace. Now, to maintain that moral order that He's given us through baptism, a priceless gift... We have to cooperate with him. Receive the sacraments, practice virtue, and pray. St. Paul says we need to do good. We need to practice virtue. Now today, let's concentrate on one of the moral virtues mentioned by St. Paul, namely that of meekness. This sermon is going to require a little meekness from you, probably. But today's lesson, St. Paul mentions meekness. So St. Ignatius of Antioch, he tells of his power... Amazing quote from St. Ignatius, early in the church. He says, What I need is the meekness by which the prince of this world is destroyed. That's a very powerful statement. What he is saying is that meekness is able to restore the moral order of the universe. Cast out the devil. St. Thomas Aquinas, he teaches that meekness is one of the virtues that opposes anger. Explaining that meekness restrains, mitigates, and moderates the onslaught of anger by submitting it to right reason. It prevents its possessor from seeking vengeance or contradicting the truth, which many do through being disturbed by anger. In another place, St. Thomas explains that meekness is a virtue of which nobility of soul is found. When you find a meek person, they're noble-like. Frequently, the worldly-minded fail to be meek because they lack this nobility of soul or they possess very little and that imperfectly. St. Thomas goes on. He says, They might not be the first to use harsh or discourteous words, but if they receive ill treatment, they resent it, defend themselves, and give back tick for tat. They become petty... With this retaliation, they manifest an ignoble and low spirit. In contrast, even when provoked by words or actions, the servants of God remain serene and calm, thus revealing perfect nobility of soul, capable of overlooking all rudeness. And that's when souls are converted. So, the moral order is reestablished when we practice meekness toward God Toward others and toward ourselves. Toward God, toward others, toward ourselves. Let's go through them. Now the man who is angry at God for evil in the world, maybe someone in his family died a violent death, an untimely death. He's mad about it. And who's he going to get mad at? But God. He needs meekness towards God. He must practice meekness towards God to overcome this. And this is best accomplished by meditating on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And reflecting on the incarnate Son of God, suffering so many outrages, the angry man learns that God has done something about it. He's done something about the physical and moral evil in the world. He became man, took up our human freedom, and He used it. He used it right. He obeyed even unto death. He did not take away suffering, but gave it meaning by turning it into an act of love. In the passion, love triumphed. In the resurrection, the Lord also showed that suffering is not permanent. How important it is for people to be meditating on these truths. How good it is to be Catholic to know these truths. Now this is displayed in the gospel today. When all seems lost, Christ comes and raises the dead boy to life. Sorrow turns to joy. An untimely death becomes a source of grace for the whole community. In meditating on the passion, the death and the resurrection, the onslaught of anger toward God is submitted to right reason, is moderated and is conquered. Meekness toward God. okay. Meekness toward others is a precious virtue. It goes a long way to restoring the moral order in the world. Now, St. Francis de Sales comes to our aid. He says, Meekness is that which is most visible and most agreeable in the practice of charity. It is what constitutes its charm. It appears in the gaze, the smile, the bearing, the speech... It doubles the value of service rendered. It doubles the value of our actions, being meek about it. It protects the fruits of charity and zeal. It makes counsels and even reproaches acceptable. It makes counsels and even reproaches acceptable. Moses is said to be the meekest man who walked the face of the earth. Now recall, when Moses came down the mountain, right? Remember that? With the Ten Commandments? That's the first time he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He found his people deeply mired in sin and disobedience before the golden calf. He grew hot with anger. He dropped the commandments. They broke. And in his righteous anger, he put to death... 23,000 Israelites that day. He was mad. Righteous anger. He grew hot. Now, he went back up the mountain again. He meditated. He received the Ten Commandments again from the Lord. And this time when he came down, he was the meekest man on earth. From that point on, when the stiff-necked Israelites fell into some sin... He would go to the Ark of the Covenant. He would prostrate himself before God and he would struggle with him to save souls. Solutions were always found and souls were saved. If any lives were taken, it was done by God himself from that point on. So fire came and devoured some. Snakes came along and bit others. The ground opened up and devoured others. But Moses never again took up the sword. Against any of the Israelites. That's amazing. Something to think about. The lesson here is obvious, isn't it? If we're struggling with somebody to the point of anger, the first thing we should do is go back up the mountain, especially at Mass and meditations on the Passion, Mount Calvary. We should pray to love these people and struggle with God for their souls lest we struggle too much with them individually and lose them. Meekness gives our Lord and His Holy Mother, the Ark of the Covenant, room to work. Now please bear with me as we present a somewhat lengthy but important example of our times. Consider the need for meekness in a priest hearing confessions. We've all heard many times about how priests of old have yelled at people in the confessional such that penitents were turned off and never returned again. I'm sure you've heard that as many times as I have. Such stories have always saddened me greatly. But having heard confessions now for many years, I can honestly see why some of these priests spoke harshly at times. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not condoning the response of being harsh or rude or raising your voice at a penitent. But I have come to understand some of its sources, at least one of them. So first, let's consider analogy. Chuck Yeager he's the Air Force NASA pilot who broke the sound barrier. He grew up in the backwoods of West Virginia, One day his brother took out his father's shotgun to play with and he accidentally shot his sister, Doris Ann, and he killed her. All were very sorry and were very sad about the loss of their sister and their daughter. But after she was buried, Mr. Yeager took his sons out and showed him how to use a shotgun properly to prevent such things from happening again. Now consider for a moment What if this boy took out the gun next day and shot another sibling dead? What would we expect of Mr. Yeager then? Patience? Meekness? Calm? Now we all know how weak man can be at times. Original sin has opened a deep wound in our souls. We're inclined toward evil and we sin easily out of weakness. It's not what I'm talking about today. This is why we have the confessional. The sacrament of penance. Where the priest applies to the soul of the sinner the precious blood of Christ consecrated at the altar to take away our sins, to give us strength to keep striving anew for holiness and eternal life. But seeking the salvation of souls, the priest should give instructions to the penitent in the confessional to prevent further falls into the same sins, especially if they be mortal sins. Just as Mr. Yeager showed his sons how to use the gun properly, the priest is trying to show them how to use their human nature properly to prevent it from going off and shooting who? Christ in their soul and putting Him to death again. Furthermore, before the priest can grant absolution, that is, before he can pour out the precious blood of Christ on the penitent, he needs to have some assurance that the sinner is truly sorry for the sin and is willing to amend his life. Otherwise, he commits a sacrilege by giving absolution. In other words, it won't work. He pours the blood and it goes on the ground. It is invalid. Make no mistake. A priest takes his life into his hands at the altar and in the confessional. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And to be so close to him as a priest is every day. Now, but what happens when a penitent comes back over and over with the same willful sins we're not talking about false or falls due to weakness, even mortal falls. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about willful sins committed under the same circumstances without any real signs of amendment or true sorrow. This is worse than the Jaeger boy taking out the shotgun and killing another sibling because we're talking about the death of our Lord, of Christ in the soul. Mortal sin puts Christ to death in our soul. We crucify Him again. And we're doing it over and over and over again with ease in such a situation as this. Amazingly, our King is so merciful, He is willing to forgive even such sins as these over and over again. If the penitent is truly sorry, is truly willing to amend his life. When the priest questions the penitent whether or not they used the means he or some other confessor gave them, and they say no. Can we not see why the priest might lose his patience and grow angry at this moment? I told you to do these things to prevent from that doing that sin? You didn't do any of them? And you committed the exact same sins? You want me, what? To give you absolution? So you can go to communion in front of everybody and say everything's okay when it's not? The communion will be invalid and so will be the confession. It will be sacrilege. Can we not see why previous confessions for this individual are not working? Because they're invalid. Of course, once again, the penitents expect the priest to give them absolution. And if he does not, they will find a priest who will. And they will complain about that mean priest they met and even go to bishops. St. Paul says we need meekness. Oh, how we need meekness. St. Paul says, instruct such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. That is how a good confessor overcomes any frustration he may feel, rise up in him over one who is not willing to cooperate. He says, I could do that. Yep, that's not beyond me. I could act like that. I could even do worse. In similar circumstances, for I too am a sinner. In this way, the onslaught of anger will be mitigated, it will be checked and submitted by reason, submitted to reason. And his meekness will give counsels and even reproaches that are acceptable. But St. Paul goes on, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For what things a man shall sow? those also shall he reap. For he that soweth in his flesh of the flesh also shall reap corruption. So, blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, in her visions of the passion, she saw those who Jesus had healed were the very ones, some of them. The ones he had healed, who did not listen to him, went out and continued to sin, and they got back their diseases... Once again, moral evil leads to physical evil. They were the ones who testified against Christ before Caiaphas, at least some of them. They did not want to amend their lives. And so they attack our Lord. And they accused him in the passion. Now to be clear, it's very important. The role of the priest acting meekly, wanting what is best for the salvation of the sinner is to delay, defer the absolution of such a sinner until they're ready. Go home, do these things, practice them, come back. We'll see if you do them. Then I'll give you absolution. Go home, get rid of that occasion of sin. Come back, I'll give you absolution. Show me a sign that you're really sorry. That you're willing to amend your life. Listen to Canon 980. This is of the court of canon law. If the confessor is in no doubt about the penitent's disposition and the penitent asks for absolution, it is not to be denied or deferred. But what if he's in doubt? Then he can deny or defer. We conform ourselves to the sacraments. We do not conform them to us. This is not the sacrament of absolution. It's a sacrament of confession, which requires sorrow and amendment of life. Listen to Canon 987 of the Code of Canon Law. In order that Christ's faithful may receive the saving remedy of the sacrament of penance, they must be so disposed That repudiating the sins they have committed and having purpose of amending their lives, they turn back to God. Sometimes you can ask a penitent, you say, "Do you think you're going to commit that sin again next week?" Yeah. 1962 ritual, the one I follow, traditional for traditional use of the sacrament of penance. This is what it says. This is from the Church. The priest must take great pains. Great pains to decide in which instances absolution should be given, denied or deferred, lest he absolve such as are indisposed for this benefit. Persons, for example, who give no indication of contrition, who refuse to put an end to hatred and enmity, to make restitution when they're able, to give up an approximate occasion of sin, or in any way refuse to forsake their sins and amend their life. End quote. Ritual, 1962. Listen to St. Alphonsus Liguori. He says, Of what use is it to receive absolution as often as you go to confession when you do not renounce all sin? All those absolutions would add to the fire that would torment you in hell. Now, once again, I'm not talking about, he's not talking about those weaknesses, those failures, that we confess all the time, struggling to overcome. He's talking about deliberate, willful, mortal sins that I don't plan to overcome because I like them. St. Robert Bellarmine says, there would not be such great ease in sinning today if there were not such great ease in absolving. That's a great line. There would not be such great ease in sinning today if there were not also such great ease in absolving. It's become the sacrament of absolution, not confession. St. Alphonsus, one more quote. He says, when the confessor knows that it will be useful to defer absolution, he is bound to defer it. For he is obliged to adopt the most efficacious remedies for the amendment of his penitent. If I love you, I want you to go to heaven, I've got to work with you, and it's going to hurt, but it's going to work. Trust. Be meek with your confessor. Now in keeping with the fathers of the church, the dead man in the gospel being carried out of the city represents a soul in mortal sin being sent out of the walls of the church. St. Thomas adds that since a great crowd was aware of his death, the young man was accomplished in sin and more public in sin. He had habitual sins. Now notice how he's cured. Through the prayers of Our Lady, the mother of sorrows, the sinners revive. That woman weeping represents Our Lady. This also shows how much a priest needs nuns and sisters, spiritual mothers behind Him weeping in union with Our Lady so that such souls will convert and be saved. What of our times when so many are deeply mired in sin and there are so few nuns and religious sisters Left to help the priests. No one is there to help him carry this burden. He can't do it all. Finally, meekness toward ourselves is also essential for a reestablish of the moral order. So many today are angry at themselves. Why are we angry at ourselves? Because we cannot accept the fact that we've committed this blunder or that fall or committed this terrible sin. They're sort of like that Pharisee looking at the public and saying, thank God I'm not like the rest of men. When in reality, they're just as bad or even worse. How easy it is in this world to see all sorts of sights, all sorts of people, shells of individuals, shells of what it means to be human, wrecked on drugs or something else, and we can say so easily, thank God I'm not like the rest of men. Truth be told, truth be told, we are very capable of becoming worse. The higher the calling, the lower the fall. It is pride to think that we do not have within us all that it takes to be a Judas. So when such people fall, they become angry with themselves, unable to forgive, unable to bear with their own faults. And such imperious people are hard to live with. They're miserable themselves and they make others miserable too. So meekness would have them what? Not be surprised that they have fallen into such sins. Meekness bears patiently with faults even our own and seeks forgiveness for them. So meekness will check anger against ourselves. How? By saying, I am surprised I did not do more evil. Even worse things... For I am very capable of much more. Ah, it is the good God who prevented me and saved me from such a fate. This, of course, leads the soul immediately to humble itself before God and man, seeking forgiveness and giving thanks that others have been so patient with their faults and their failings. If this meek and humble path is not followed, The imperious person will go on to commit greater sins, sins of pride and presumption, and sad to say, God forbid, even final impenitence, because they refuse to admit that they have committed such sins. It's happened before. Read St. Alphonsus, and he'll give you some stories. Now, to overcome, then, all physical evils that confront us at this time, things that incite anger in our fallen nature. In order to reestablish the moral order lost by Adam, to reap everlasting life spoken of by St. Paul, we must submit ourselves to the spiritual life Christ our King offers to us in and through the sacraments and strive to practice the virtue of meekness toward God, toward others, and toward ourselves. And oh, how meditating on the passion greatly aids this virtue. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.